Welcome to another edition of the Insurance AUM Journal podcast. My name is Stuart Foley. I'll be your host, standing with you at the corner of insurance and asset management to talk about opportunities across the entire private credit spectrum with uh, three senior folks who are very, very well-versed in this space. And I'm going to introduce them one at a time, and then we can all chime in, right? Andrew Kleeman, Senior Managing Director, Head of Corporate Private Placements at SLC Management. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Chris Wright, Managing Director, Head of Private Markets at Crescent Capital. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. We're very happy that you're here. John Bowman, Managing Director, Crescent Capital. John, how are you? Good afternoon, Stuart. So the guy that who always learns the most out of these deals is me, right? Because I get to interview really senior people who are at the top of their game in these various asset classes. So what would really be helpful, and my questions come at from genuine curiosity, right? Can you provide a high-level overview of the IG and below IG private credit market and talk about the opportunity set just broadly? Sure, sure. I'll, uh, I can kind of kick off. This is uh, Chris Wright. And, um, you know, great question. Look, I think, uh, you know, we, and, and, and I'll refer my comments specific to the below investment grade corporate credit market, which is where we focus at Crescent. You know, there are a number of drivers and a number of secular tailwinds that are fueling that market right now. Certainly, the amount of dry powder that's in the hands of private equity sponsors sets up for a very nice, robust M&A market as we look forward. We're also seeing significant activity for private credit lenders as banks continue to decrease their focus on lending, creating opportunities for us to invest up and down the capital structure in senior as well as junior and even preferred and minority equity investments alongside private equity sponsors. So as they continue to get out, private lenders like ourselves are filling that void and and that's creating a a tremendous tailwind. I think as well, uh, sponsors are really recognizing the value of having private lenders in their capital structure. When you go through a period like we just went through with COVID, you know, it's important to understand having good partners in your capital structure allow you, you know, to adjust to quickly moving activities that may impact their portfolio. So one of the things that you often hear with regard to differences between public and private, right? So public versus private, we can talk about being negotiated. The thing that most people think of when they hear private is a liquidity give, right? So at least my experience is that insurers tended to say, boy, we need a lot of liquidity, but they really didn't need as much as they were, they thought perhaps. Can you talk a little bit about public, private, and the liquidity trade-offs and whatnot? I think that's something that that matters to insurance investors. Yeah, this is Andy Kleeman. Two things. One is most life insurance companies and even PNC or other types of insurance companies probably aren't going to liquidate their entire portfolio in a given year unless something really tragic has happened, right? So, you know, speaking from like the perspective of, of, a, of a life insurance company, if you have a, a $10 billion fixed income portfolio and, and a quarter of that is in privates that can earn anywhere from 30 to 70 basis points of illiquidity premium, and for the investment grade private placements, 
it's the same capital charge that you're getting on your public, you know, A and, and triple B rated public bonds. All that additional yield falls to the bottom line year in and year out. Is it at the expense of some illiquidity? Sure. But again, like I don't know if anyone actually turns over their entire investment grade bond portfolio in a given year. And to counteract that illiquidity, you know, we have covenants which protect us from the downside and you get a more diversified portfolio. You know, it's frequently you get collateral, but you know, the the loss uh, history and investment grade private placements is superb, better than public bonds, frankly. So it, it's kind of a, a no-brainer to add when you're looking at any kind of a allocation optimizer between publics and privates. Is there, we talked a little bit about the reduced volatility. I think the consensus is we've got lower for longer interest rates for the foreseeable future, right? And there's increasing pressure on insurers to generate investment income by getting creative and looking at asset classes that they might already may not have previously. Are you seeing flows? Are you seeing demand to privates versus publics, generally speaking? Is that that's my sense of where money is going, but you guys are a lot closer to it than I am. I'll touch on that. This is John Bowman. You know, I think as Chris mentioned, the early driver of private credit was in fact sort of the banks exiting and being consolidated and leaving a huge space or void in the delivery of private credit, uh, particularly on the senior side. As we got into that lower rate environment, Stuart, that you mentioned, which, you know, first came after the uh, the last recession, uh, you know, in 2009, 2010, you know, with LIBOR very low, you really needed to I guess it was for Chris and I, the first search for yield dynamic really coming uh, supercharged. And here we are 10 years later through a second event, you know, the pandemic. And uh, once again, uh, the search for yield is now even more pronounced. And and so during that period, absolute returns have come down and, and the need and the value of of getting that extra yield is now more important than ever. And so the flows into the space are significant, whether it's senior capital, junior capital, a large cap, small cap, the flows are very, very significant. And then as Chris said, the uh, the product has now been delivered privately for a number of years where the the private equity community and the other issuers are accustomed really and prefer generally a private execution, particularly on the non-investment grade side. So you have kind of the perfect storm right now, away from the pandemic, of course, in terms of uh, both capital flowing in and the need for private credit and yield really driving the space. And I guess in spite of those flows, I get the sense that sometimes insurers are not sold on the asset class. Do you think they are? And can you talk a little bit about the hurdles that clients need to get past? I think maybe it's getting rid of some old thinking and, and looking at today's current market with a fresh brush. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of hurdles that clients are needing to get past and when they take a look at this thing for the first time? I think on the investment grade side, part of it is clients just, you know, when we describe an investment grade private placement as, you know, more diverse, you know, issuers that aren't in the public market, covenants spread premiums, 
smaller working groups, better loss. You know, the, the question comes, why would anyone issue in that market if, you know, if they're paying a, a 50 basis point premium over public? And, and part of that is just explaining the types of deals we do and the structures that we do. There are entities that are private companies that want investment grade profiles, but don't want to make their, their uh, financials public. There are certain entities like accounting firms and such who don't have access to the public market because they want to close the control who, who holds their debt, right? They don't want to uh, have any of their clients holding their debt because of the conflict of interest. Uh, there are certain structures where maybe an issue or tranche is less than 300 million, so it doesn't get index eligibility. And so there's no pricing advantage to go to the public market. It's not more risk in the private market. It's just a lot more work underwriting and originating and the operational aspects of getting through the, the deal legal mechanics. So I was just going to add a couple th- things, you know, for the below investment grade market. I mean, I think, uh, you know, look on, on where we operate below investment grade, it's what I would call the spicier end of the market. And not all private credit managers are created alike in our space. And so we have obviously seen a big growth in this end of the market over the last five or six years. But there are a number of us that have been out there for 20 years and have long track records and are easily diligible. So I think, you know, number one is, is really getting to know the manager and making sure you're comfortable with their default history and their recovery history and their loss history and their ability to generate returns. I think the second thing in, in our market is, you know, liquidity versus illiquidity. You know, what we have found is liquidity sounds great, but when you want it, even in the syndicated markets, when you want it, it's not there. And so we have certainly been on an education course with groups and talking about that and, you know, offering insights into how we think about liquidity and that there should be position in your portfolio to generate the incremental yield that we're able to deliver, albeit maybe at a small cost of illiquidity. But I think, you know, that is another area that, you know, is sometimes a hurdle. And then the third area that we spend a lot of time with with insurance companies on is risk-based capital. There's been a lot of technology over the last few years to address risk-based capital, whether that be you know commingled funds, whether it be getting ratings, whether it be doing an SMA, whether it being a rated note structure. You know we try to be flexible, just like we offer a solution for the sponsors that we're investing with in their buyouts we try to address and offer solutions for our investor clients as well and try to be flexible with the broad platform that we have. It's interesting just to kind of look at the capital charge, for example. You know, there's a lot of things that we talk about on this show and in our on our website more broadly that are so narrow, right? It's all insurance asset management. And so the capital charges really matter. And you guys manage money for insurance companies and you get the joke on that and you understand it. The thing that, that Andy said earlier is that insurance companies are often buy and hold, right? You're not seeing people blow out of an asset class and come back in. It, it doesn't work that way. That seems to be a good fit to going down in liquidity. Am I on target there or am I off base? You're absolutely on target. You know, for the investment grade, private credit market, we estimate it's probably somewhere around a trillion dollars of outstandings. And, and it's hard to get a, a number in that because it's, of course, private. And there's a lot of deals that we wouldn't know were done. 
I think two to three billion a year actually trades. So people hear that and there's a, a kind of a pucker factor, but it's because the insurance companies that hold these assets view them as gold. They appreciate the covenants, they value the covenants in the downtime protection. They want to earn that illiquidity premium over time. And so when we do see good credits come into the secondary market, they trade well for the most part. Every situation is unique based on how many uh, investors are in a deal and how that credit's performed. But I think illiquidity sometimes is overstated and and it's something that the major players in this industry aren't concerned about at all. You know, I'd, I'd also add, you know, when we look at in, in a number of our structure, our commingled funds, and, and obviously there's been a a growth in the secondary markets of LP interests. And there's some trading in, in everybody's funds. But what I would say to your point is I don't remember the last time seeing a request by an insurance company to trade a secondary position out of one of our funds. I mean, you'll, we'll see it every once in a while with endowments or foundations or sovereign wealth or pension plans. But I don't remember the last time an insurance company went in and was looking to move its position in the fund. So it sort of speaks to that point where, you know, when they do come in, they are long-term investors. They have long-term liabilities, obviously, that match up very well with a longer-term investment that can drive higher MOIC and can offer the premium that we're talking about here. We've talked a little bit about mainly life insurance companies, and this is just my own curiosity What's the business mix P&C to life? My understanding from what I've heard is that P&C companies are beginning to show up into a market that heretofore has been pretty much exclusively the life industry. Can you talk a little bit about that if you're seeing flows out of P&C space too? In my side, it definitely is starting to happen. And again, it's just a search for yield. Uh, it's been a nice change because we're seeing Historically, it's been 10-year fixed rate deals, you know, and, and there's flexibility, but it'd be seven to 30-year fixed rate, sometimes amortizing structures and stuff. And with more PNC companies, we're seeing more demand for shorter deals, three to five years, three to seven. And uh, so it's actually bringing more issuers to the market, and it's allowing the investment-grade private credit market to be a more bespoke solution to those issuers. So it's been a positive having that demand in the market. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense to me. So we talked about IG, we talked about below investment grade. How do they work together? Oftentimes insurers have, they're going to have some of each, right? Do they complement each other? Are they in competition? Are they completely separate? How do you guys view the IG versus below IG interaction? I would say what we're seeing is a lot of our clients whether it's on the liquid side, on the IG side, are using privates to just blend up that ultimate yield on their portfolio. So when the flows started to first come in in a meaningful way after the 0809 downturn when rates were low, I think in the early years, uh, some folks thought of private credit, particularly on the senior side, as it might have been an opportunistic, temporary need for that extra yield. And then, you know, here we are 10 years later uh, with LIBOR at, you know, less than 25 bips. And um, maybe it's not so temporary. And I, I think what that's done is transition insurance companies, I know on the below investment grade side, to to gravitate 
they're thinking to, no, this is a permanent part of my asset allocation. In fact, you know, when I get in early, I might have been in the 2 to 5% area, but now I'm moving up with many insurers, moving up to 5 to 10% of their asset allocation into a below investment grade private credit. So I think as people have become more comfortable with the asset class, and as Andy has said, the, you know, you, you get used to the nature of the transaction, people are saying, yeah, I do have adequate liquidity, so I don't need this portion of my cap structure to be, or my portfolio to be liquid and monetizable, and it should really be a permanent allocation. And then I can, you know, shift between different markets within private credit, which is, you know, one of the things, you know, we at Crescent can really do quite well and and why, you know, the Sun Life Crescent transaction, I think is really interesting. I would add on that. I think that the investment grade private credit is a great gateway drug to the below investment grade for insurance (laughs) companies that are looking to understand illiquidity because on the investment grade side, you get the same capital charges, right? And you're getting a yield pickup. And then once they've been doing that for a while and they get comfortable of how much illiquidity they can handle as they continue to look for more yield and a more diverse portfolio, it blends nicely into that below investment grade range. But in this yield environment, I mean, I think people are turning over every stone looking for every basis point of return they can get. So the investment shops at these various insurance companies are smart money shops. They're sophisticated, right? They come to you and you're explaining your views of an asset class. At what level are you starting that conversation? In other words, what questions are you getting from your clients and from prospective clients? Look, we're... We're all credit geeks, right? So I think the first question is always focused around principal preservation and how you protect your principal and your philosophy around diligence. You know, talking about default rates and how that compares to the liquid market, talking about recovery rates and how that compares to the liquid market, you know, whether it's senior, junior, what's the yield pickup for where you sit in the capital structure. And then more fully understanding, you know, where in the economy you're investing, whether it's lower middle market, middle market, or upper middle market. And so we spend a lot of time talking through different parts of the capital structure, and then how obviously how we focus on principal preservation. I think on the private side as well, one of the big differentiation points is origination. So we spend a lot of time talking through how we originate. Uh, what differentiates us from other originating sources and what our relationships look like. And so I think that's, you know, something that, you know, really means a lot and we spend a lot of time on. And then I guess what I would say that the last part then is really what's the value add post-investment? Our job on the private side is, you know, we're not investing to trade, we're investing to hold and so our job's not done when we make the investment. It's how involved are we with the company? Do we control tranches? Do we have a required lender status? Are we an agent? It's those types of questions and where we're adding value post-investment. It does translate into lower defaults and high recoveries, which ultimately you know, generates the yield premium that we're talking about. But I would say those are kind of the three to four main focus areas that we spend a lot of time on with investors. I I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it would be hard to argue that size doesn't help you in this market, right? I mean, deal flow and 
and origination for sure. So what's the biggest misconception about this asset class that you would like to address? You know, I would say in the, on the below investment grade side, and I spent more time on senior in the early days of investors coming into the space, as Chris said, it was a very heavy focus on how can I get hurt? I need to preserve capital. I hear you on the yield premium. Everybody wants a yield premium, but you know, at the end of the day, I need to pay my retirees or generate an adequate return to cover my annuity payments, et cetera. So, you know, no one wants to lose principal. And I think, you know, the early days of private credit on the senior side were 20 years ago and on the mezzanine side, probably 30 years ago plus. And Crescent was one of the early players in private mezzanine. So the statistics are now there and, and investors can see the default rates, the recovery rates, the premium returns. And it just takes, you know, a certain amount of time for investors to get up the curve, get comfortable, dip their toe into the water, whether it's in a commingle fund, if they're larger and have some experience, then they may move to a separate account of size. And, uh, and then, you know, Chris and I work together, for example, a lot on constructing a you know, a solution to get to a targeted return where we'll mix different asset classes. We'll consider putting leverage on a vehicle. What is the target return? What is the risk profile? Okay, we can create that product for you. So in the early days, there's an education phase. As investors get up the curve, large, small insurance codes, et cetera, they become more sophisticated in the asset class. And then they hone in on you know, how can I continue to generate higher returns and manage, you know, risk appropriately? Yeah, and they're effectively riding on the benefits of your size, right? I mean, particularly smaller insurance companies, it, it's just really about getting access to the asset class and getting access to the deal flow, right? That's right. Okay, so that's been a great discussion about private credit across the credit spectrum. And clearly, you guys are leaders in this space, you know this space, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot more to learn here, but there's clearly value. But I want to turn my last question. I always ask the same question. People are like, oh, brother. So here's my question, and I'm going to pick on Chris. Okay, so Chris, you come out of undergraduate school, right? So here we are. It's COVID-19. I teach as an adjunct. And I have students that are wigged out about, you know, career opportunities and what should I do and on and on and on. I had a young man email me today about career choice. So You're walking across the stage in your cap and gown. And by the way, you're looking good that day. Not that you had a big party the night before at all. And the president of the college sticks out their hand and shakes your hand, hands you your diploma. You walk across, you're all stoked. You go down and you walk down the stairs. At the bottom of the stairs, you meet Chris Wright today. What do you tell your 21-year-old self? That's a, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think, uh, you know, when I was 21, the world was a lot different, but certainly, you know, the opportunities that uh, exist today for career advancement and for defining success are, are immense. You know, as I look at it and I look back and what we always talk to, you know, our people about is put your head down. The early years are going to be a lot of hard work, put your head down, persevere and learn all that you can. And as you're in that process of learning, you're going to find out what really excites you and then pursue that with a, an incredible passion. 
That is good advice. That's, uh, we'll leave it there. I just want to say thank you very much. Andy Kleeman, SLC Management, Chris Wright, Crescent Capital, John Bowman, Crescent Capital. Thanks very much for being on, guys. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for listening to us. If you like us, please follow us on all the major podcast platforms. If you have ideas for podcasts, please email us at podcast at insuranceaum.com. Thanks for listening. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the Insurance AUM Journal Podcast. Thank you.